Our reading for today comes to us from uh, the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, In this chapter, Jesus tells a series of parables, parables, uh, a story which is meant to teach us something, usually about the kingdom of God or God's rule or uh, uh, mostly about that. And so he begins today with another one of these parables. We read, Jesus put together and put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest... And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then Jesus left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Jesus answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the Gospel of the Lord. This uh, parable uh, is uh, probably the most, uh, one of the most explained parables. Sometimes uh, Jesus uh, didn't explain what every parable, uh, what, what he meant and what he had in mind. This one is pretty straightforward. Not much I can add to the meaning of the parable, the various representations and things. And uh, so uh, the thing it seems to be teaching the most here is that there's going to come a judgment time when those who are weeds, which are those who do not, have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and been baptized and in that way forgiven and, and growing in Christ, There will come a time, we call it, he calls it here, 
end of the age, we might call it Judgment Day or Resurrection Day, end of the world, the last day, all mean the same thing. And uh, he tells us, as he does in other parts of Scripture, on that day, uh, the Son of Man, which is Jesus himself, who's returning in glory and power, no longer meek and mild and, uh, and uh, to be kicked around and tortured and crucified, but with full power and glory, he will send his angels and they will gather out of the world this time his kingdom, because he is now then the king of the, all the world and every knee will bow and, and confess that before uh, each other. He will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's, that's a pretty uh, kind of scary thing to think about and uh, certainly wouldn't want to be in that group. Wouldn't want to be a weed on that day. And, uh, but then the righteous, the good seed that is sown, which are all those who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, have received the gift of faith that the Holy Spirit himself plants in the hearts of those who receive Jesus uh, for what he says he is and who he says he is and what he has done for you and for me, lived, died, and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could be reunited as a child of God and receive the glorious gift of heaven, the righteous will shine like the sun on that day in the kingdom of their Father. Well, it seems pretty plain, but there's another thing that's referred to here that Jesus doesn't really bring out when he explains it, but which we find in many other places in Scripture. And that is this, in this world, a mark of God's rule, because he, even now he, he rules, he allows Satan to have his, his things and all that good stuff, but he, God still has his thumb on everything. A mark of God's rule is his patience with those who have not yet come to know him and receive him as Jesus Christ, their Savior and their Lord. His patience, waiting, his patience, giving everybody as much as possible to his, as he sees fit, time, time to get to know him, time to come to repentance and receive him and receive their own salvation. For us sinners, that's a great comfort. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, even though I was born in a Christian household, baptized as an infant, and uh, you know, I, I didn't really, and went to Sunday school and all that stuff, I, I didn't really come to realize uh, what God had done for me and receive it for myself and accept it until, I don't know, sometime in my 20s probably. I was, uh, you know, before that I, I kind of had a drug problem. I don't know if you knew that about me. But uh, yeah, I had a little bit of a drug problem. See, uh, my parents drugged me to church and uh, 
they drug me to uh, Sunday school and they drug me to youth group and, and all that stuff. So uh, I don't know, maybe some of you had a drug problem at one time in your life, don't know. But, um, you know, so in my teenage years, I did my share of, uh, you know, rebelling against uh, being, uh, you know, what I considered, of course, being so penned in and all that stuff. And then I, uh, I had some college years, and then I, I was in the service, I was in the Army for three years and, and all that. And it wasn't really till after that that uh, God got through to me. You know, I was kind of like that mule that was happy to obey, but you had to get his attention first, usually with a two-by-four right between the eyes, usually did it, get, his, get my attention. And uh, so... I'm happy that in my rebellious years, he didn't just send his servants out and whip me out and throw me away to be burnt right then. He gave time for maturity and for his word to uh, eventually soak in. So uh, one of the things about this parable that we can learn is uh, Jesus warns his servants not to judge prematurely by assuming one can distinguish between the wheat and the weeds early on, okay? Have to have some patience ourselves also. Uh, Paul talks about that in his letter to uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul refers to himself as the chief of sinners. And he goes on and says, Formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and insolent opponent. We, we know, those of us who uh, have heard the Bible stories uh, often enough, that Saul uh, was a man who was a, a dedicated Pharisee, a man who thought righteousness came by God pleasing... God-pleasing works, following the rules, all these rules. They had, uh, the Pharisees had 613, I think, rules to follow, you know. And the saying was, if every, uh, if every uh, good Jew in all of the Israel would all follow these for just one day, then uh, God would come and, and uh, you know, live with us. But uh, that's, so that's what he, uh, he tried to do. And, and then when uh, the disciples came around, Jesus himself, and then the disciples after his resurrection, and were preaching that he was the promised Messiah and that heaven only came through faith in him alone, he didn't like that because that went against everything that he had been taught and he was trying to do. And so he persecuted Christians. He uh, he uh, got permission to seek Christians out and find out where they were and where they met and haul them into jail, and some even got killed because he, he took them in. And uh, so that's the kind of man he was until God uh, kind of knocked him off his horse, if you remember the uh, story of Saul's conversion. His name was Saul, and he was named Paul after his conversion. He was on a horse and he got knocked down and God spoke to him personally, Jesus himself. And he came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior and God used him, Jesus sent him to uh, spread the word. So he was the greatest missionary the Christian church has ever known. 
He says, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul was very grateful that for God's patience in his life, that he didn't yank him out in his Pharisee years. And, you know, uh, we, we even see something here. This is very interesting to me as a pastor. Uh, in 2 Timothy, Paul is instructing Timothy uh, how to uh, look for men who would be worthy of being a pastor, and he gives them some criteria, and here's something I didn't notice before. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Patiently enduring evil. It goes on, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I'd never really noticed that before, that pastors are to patiently endure evil in this world. In other words, not go stark raving mad and throw tantrums every time they come across someone who hasn't yet believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and is doing or saying things that are against that and everything. Be patient. Be patient. God may not be done with that person yet. Be patient. Let God do what he will in his own time. So that's a warning to uh, us uh, uh, to not judge prematurely by, by assuming we can, we can tell who's wheat and who's weeds too, too early. There's another, uh, I thought that was, that was pretty good. Uh, there's another time where in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul is giving instructions to the, the church in Corinthian about, you know, when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, don't expect them or to, or to live, uh, oh, what do I want to say? Uh, who, are those, uh, who are those wives that were all trained to be the same? Stepford Wives, there, that was a movie, Stepford Wives, they haven't seen that. Uh, you know, it's a very Christian movie. No, it's not at all. But... You can learn something from that. They were all clones, and they were trained to obey their husbands and live the perfect life and always have their makeup on and be having nice hair and all that. And there was a whole town full of them. The stranger would come in and see all this and go, wow, what's going on here? Anyway, that's not, you don't, there's no cookie-cutter Christian, as Paul was saying. Uh, whatever whatever uh, situation you find yourself at li in life as when you become a Christian, live a Christian like that. You don't have to. In other words, if you're, if you're 
single, you don't have to get married and have two kids and have the right house and car and everything, that the perfect Christian family. No, not at all. You can stay single if that's what you want. But if you want to get married, you can certainly get married. You don't have to stay single to be a Christian. You can get married, be a Christian as a married person. You know, those things. And he says this, uh, and he talks about, well, what if uh, someone uh, gets to be a believer, but their spouse or wife or husband isn't and doesn't want to? What do you do then? Well, he advises, as, uh, he says it for both men and women, but I'll read the women part. If any woman, because, you know, I preach to the women, Eve sinned first, you know. Yeah. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. And a little bit later, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? So there you have a wheat and right next to him, a weed, the wife and the husband. Patiently enduring evil, he says. I want to tell you a story about a situation like that, that I think uh, portrays what can happen with God's patience on occasion. This story is a true story. It was told to me by one of my professors in, uh, in seminary because uh, it had happened to him. As a young man who was preparing to be a pastor, he met a young lady and uh, they uh, hit it off pretty good and they dated and they became engaged. And at some point he uh, was taken home to meet the uh, young lady's family. He found that her mother was uh, just a sweet, loving, Christian lady, uh, church-going, uh, Bible-reading, reading devotions every day, you know, all this, uh, active-in-the-church person, just very nice to have as a future mother-in-law. The future father-in-law, however, was quite different. Uh, I think most of you will get this reference, uh, hopefully. If not, ask an older person later. But he was the personification of Archie Bunker. Okay? Archie Bunker, if you remember that. What was that? All in the Family? Is that the name of that show? What was that name? Yeah, All in the Family. Okay, anyway. He, uh, he, he, was, he was opinionated. He was in, non-tolerable. I don't know what word I'm looking for there. He, he was intolerable. That means he wasn't nice to be around. He would not tolerate others. He was racist. He, uh, you know, he, he had very big of it. Didn't want anything to do with the church. Every Sunday she would go to church, and every Sunday as she went out the door, she would invite him to come along, and he was gone. I'm not coming. And he didn't want anything to do with that. Over the years, uh, she was a member of this church. Uh, uh, you know, pastors would come and go as they do, as you're experiencing here a little bit too. And uh, Aaron, whenever a new pastor came, you know, uh, would get acquainted with her and, and say, well, what about your husband? Well, she'd say he doesn't want anything to do with the church. He, uh, he's not a believer, et cetera. Well, I, maybe I'll just drop by and get acquainted with him. Well, he didn't like that at all. 
He had, over the years, personally escorted physically and verbally two different pastors out the front door and said, don't come back again, okay? Didn't want anything to do with it. Well, so uh, the professor, my professor married uh, their daughter and life went on and time went by and nothing had changed at home there. And then one time, you know, I don't know how old the mother-in-law was, maybe in her 50s or something, she had a stroke, a severe stroke. Disabled her, she couldn't uh, read, uh, lost the ability to read and, and uh, concentrate and uh, hold things and, and uh, her speech was affected, you know, so, uh, and you would think, you know, hearing this story, you would think if there was any justice in this world, if God would, you know, do the right thing, it should have been him who had the stroke or something, you know, not this sweet, believing child of his. You'd think that just wasn't right. Well, even though these two were, uh, you know, quite different on the matter of uh, uh, faith and religion and all that, they uh, did love each other. And so after she had her stroke, he did everything he could to uh, help her. And so he knew how much her daily devotions and Bible reading meant to her, and he started reading to her her daily devotions and the Bible passages associated with it. He would do that for her, as long, along with taking care of her physical needs and things. Well, now there was a real reason for the pastor at the church to come over, and he realized that. So he would allow them to come in, but he would leave. He'd leave the house, he'd go out in the garage, he'd mow the lawn, he'd go down to the bar, whatever it was, till he was sure he was gone, and then he'd come back. And so that went on for a while. Then he decided, well, gosh, it's a lot of work to get out of the house every time he comes around. So he'd, he'd be in the, the back room or someplace, a couple of rooms away until he left and the pastor would leave. And then um, notice that he kind of, you know, came over one room, you know, and couldn't quite hear enough. So he was in the next room, the next times that uh, the pastor came over. He's kind of listening in. And a little time went by, and suddenly he was leaning in the doorway of the room the pastor and his wife were in as the pastor ministered to her. And the pastor noticed it, and he says, why, why don't you come on in and sit down, join us. So he did. He didn't participate or anything, but he listened and he heard. And as time went by, he, uh, he asked to be baptized. And the pastor was pleased to baptize him and did. He received instruction. He became a member of the church. Okay. And it wasn't all that long after that that he had a massive heart attack and died. The funeral took place in the church, of course. I don't know if they had a church cemetery, but if they did, he was buried there. So, you know, all the funeral day stuff is taking place, and finally the family, the mother and the daughters and their spouses and kids and, you know, nieces and nephews and sisters and brothers, they all gather back at the house. 
And she asked them to kid around and because she has something to say. And in her feeble way, she said to them, this happened to me for him. God's patience saved her husband. And she understood that and was happy that even though what she had to go through, it was worth it in her mind. She fulfilled what we read, Noah, though where's a Romans passage eight, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So God's patience is meant to lead all of us, even when we start straying as a Christian, God's patience, not yanking us out of there right away, is so that we can see and go to repentance and receive God's gifts over and over and over again. That's the reason. So uh, uh, there's warnings here. It says, uh, don't presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, because did you not know that his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And don't overlook this one fact, beloved. These are passages in Scripture, Second Peter here. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of coming again, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, because the day of the Lord will come. And as Jesus said in the parable reading I had earlier, the harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. God forbid that we should be found as weeds on that day. Those who have not received Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, not taken his gift of baptism and forgiveness and life and salvation because they will be thrown into the fiery furnace. But the gospel is this, and the righteous shall shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father who prepared it for them before the beginning of the world. To God be the glory as we stand strong as wheat among the weeds. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, amen. Have a short prayer with me. Heavenly Father, help us with our ears to hear and understand that you love us so much that you give us a lot of rope in our life 
so that eventually we may come to find you, that you are actually coming to find us. Help us to hear you, help us to follow you, help us to believe you and trust you and live that way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.